things I want you to be aware of very quickly before I begin this morning. A deep root starts back up here in uh, just a, uh, a week or so, and you, there's some brochures in the back. Jeremy's going to have those if you want to grab one on the way out. This lists all of our classes. These are Wednesday night classes that are offered for you to deepen your faith, to grow in your walk. Uh, love for you to be part of those. Zambia, there's, a, there's one final interest meeting. We've got, um, I think, 12 or 14 people going this summer, but there's a little bit of room for some more. So if you're interested, still praying about it, thinking about it, next Sunday right after church, right after our 11 o'clock service, right in here, you can come and get a little bit more information. And then uh, we're really excited about um, something that's going to happen again next Sunday. I'm not going to talk about building stuff. I've talked a lot about that. I'll talk some more about it next week. But uh, because of the timing and kind of where we're going with the building and when we think we're going to be done with it, we're going to have an opportunity the next two Sundays. That's January the 13th. And then again, January the 20th, for you to walk kind of into the building, more than just the little area we've got roped off. We're going to have uh, an opportunity for you to walk all the way into the main worship center uh, as a time of prayer, just to walk through. It's not really an open house, although you can go and look. I know you're going to, but we really want you to go in there and spend some time in prayer. And then we're going to have markers, like Sharpie markers. Uh, and on the floor, we want to just fill it up with Bible verses with thoughts or with prayers. So you can be thinking about what you'd like to write on the floor that will kind of be a permanent part of that worship center. That's next Sunday, the whole morning. So from 8 o'clock to 12.30, you can walk in there. So you can come early, walk around, and you can wait and do it after church. And then the following Sunday, January the 20th. So you kind of be thinking about that. I, I really want you to pray about what you'd write on the floor. I know that sounds kind of silly, but it's going to be permanent. It's going to be there. We're going to worship on that for, for many years to come. So I'd like you to think about that and, and maybe... Uh, come with a verse you want to write or maybe if you've written a little prayer if you want to write that or maybe you can go to the place you think you're going to be sitting I know nobody sits in the same place in the Baptist church but if you happen to know where you're going to sit in the new building then you can go where that chair is going to be and write a verse or if you want to write on the, uh, the pulpit where I'll be preaching that would be greatly appreciated so just something for you to do in the next couple weeks I would love for you to be a part of that okay let me pray for us now and we're going to begin Father we thank you uh, for a new year Father for new beginnings for the opportunity in, in so many ways to start fresh, Father, and, and, and to renew our, our trust in you. And as we think this morning about our faith, Father, to renew our faith in you and, and our walk. Lord, I pray that 2019 would be just an incredible year for us, Lord, a year of growth, a year of excitement. Uh, Lord, a year where we just uh, sense you in new and powerful ways, Father. And I pray for our time this morning. I pray as we open the truth of your word, you would speak to us, Father. You would just give us direction and 
clarity and understanding. Father, may you be glorified in all the things we say and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I had the opportunity this week, or for three days this week, to spend time with uh, 42 of our college students from Rosemont uh, and a few from some surrounding churches that went with us to the Passion Conference up in Atlanta. Passion Conference is a collegiate conference that's been going on now for over 20 years. And it's grown and grown and grown. They have big-name speakers, big-name groups. And it's grown so much that they've had to expand it uh, and go to four venues. So this particular week, there was a venue in Dallas, there was a venue in Washington, D.C., and then two in Atlanta. Uh, And all told, there were about 40,000 college students that worshiped together. And with technology the way it is, it's pretty amazing. And the big screens and video like they have them, we're able to kind of pipe into these other venues and see speakers in other places and hear groups worship. It's pretty incredible, but it was just a neat opportunity to see our kids, to hang out with our kids, to sit up late with our kids and eat pizza. Just a neat opportunity to kind of interact with them. But I, I say all that to tell you, man, if we're not praying for the next generation and this generation to come, we, we need to be. Because I'm just telling you the stuff they're dealing with, man, even when I was in college, and I guess I'm getting a little farther away from college and I want to admit, but even when I was in college, we didn't deal with the same sorts of things that they deal with. And you start thinking about uh, the things that they struggle with and the suicide rate and depression and anxiety and the divorce rate and all the things that they're just kind of living through, just to see them in that arena. Uh, And the one we were in was about 12,000 students worshiping and sitting under the teaching of God's Word was encouraging to me. Uh, and, and very challenging to me. And, and I just wanted to say that to you, to know that we did that, but just to remind you to be in prayer for these students. Man, reach out to one of them. If you want to adopt one of them, have them to your house for dinner or two or three of them, that'd be great. They, they would be very excited to hear from you and learn from your wisdom. And, and many of these students crave that. They crave the wisdom to know more and understand more, and they just don't always quite know where to go get it. So you just pray for them and, and, and be aware of who they are and, and maybe love on a little bit. We were coming back through the city and you know you drive, we were north part of Atlanta, you drive back through Atlanta and traffic's always bad at any point. We, we drove by and, and next year's passion is going to be at Mercedes-Benz. They're going to combine them all, which is going to be pretty cool. And We all saw it and we're looking and, and laughing and talking about it. We, we drove by the, um, or, or, or drove by kind of the downtown area and you could see the uh, aquarium and right next to the aquarium is the NCAA Football Hall of Fame. How many have been to the Hall of Fame in Atlanta? Anybody been to that? So this illustration ought to go great since none of y'all have ever seen it. That ought to work well. Two of you, okay? Well, you can imagine what, you know what a Hall of Fame is, right? Some of you may have been to the, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Maybe you've been Canton, the, the NFL Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is where you put the best of the best, right? I, I looked up the numbers and .02% of all college football players make it to the Hall of Fame. .02%, not many. Some of the great names people are very familiar with make it to the Hall of Fame. We think about a Hall of Fame, it's a group of individuals who were the best at what they did. Hebrews chapter 11 is very similar to that. Hebrews chapter 11, by many, have been called the Hall of, not fame, but faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with a list of people that did pretty incredible things for the Lord. It's called the Hall of Faith because if you go through Hebrews chapter 11 and count the number of times the word faith is used by my count, I got 24 different times. 24 different times in Hebrews chapter 11, the word faith is used. It's just this list of great men and women who've done incredible things through their faith. And so we're going to walk through this together this morning. I don't have time as, as I got into this this week 
uh, I almost got a little frustrated at myself because I think I could have probably preached four or five sermons just out of Hebrews chapter 11. There's just so much stuff, so much depth. So we're going to kind of walk through and, and pinpoint a couple of verses and skip around to some others because there's some things I want to draw out that I want you to see this morning. And as we kind of kick off the new year and think about 2019 and what it's going to hold for us and, and who we're going to be and how we're going to act, I want you to be encouraged by this chapter, certainly, but I really want you to be challenged by it. I want it to challenge your walk. I want it to challenge your heart. I want you to walk out maybe seeing it in maybe a little bit of a different light than you've seen it before. So let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. This is a verse many of you have probably memorized over the years. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's stop there. We're going to continue again in just a few minutes. But I want to make a point that I want you to see and understand. I want it to challenge you a little bit as we kind of get into this text together. Truth number one, we have it on the screen for you. Faith is foundational, but it's just the beginning. Faith is foundational, but it's just the beginning. Let's think through this together. We've, we're given a, a real clear definition of faith. If you ever want to define faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 gives it to you. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, we understand the idea of faith because we put faith in things all the time, don't we? Like, you're, you're going to have faith that your car is going to work. So when you leave here this morning or this afternoon, you're going to walk to the parking lot, get in the car, and probably, unless you've been having car trouble, not think twice about putting the key in the ignition, turning it, it's going to crank right up, right? We have faith the car's going to work. If we didn't, we wouldn't go out there and waste our time and get in it. We have faith when we fly, most of us, right? We have faith that the pilot or the pilots know what he or she's doing. We have faith the mechanics have done what they're supposed to do. We have faith the plane's going to take off and land safely. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't get in, would we? You had faith that that chair was going to work. Did, did anybody walk in this morning and go, you know, I just don't know. You surveyed it, you looked at it, you checked it to make sure the screws were tight. We don't, we don't act like that. We have faith in things of life, right? We, we live on a regular basis with faith. Faith in Christ is very similar. It's basically saying we believe he is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he's promised to do. That's what faith is. We believe God is the creator of all things. That's what verse 3 says. We, by faith, we understand this. We believe he is the author of salvation. We believe that he did die on the cross. And so that, that leads us to, to time in prayer and studying his word and, and belief that he is who he says he is and he's going to do the things he says he's going to do. Now, faith is found throughout the Bible. In fact, if you were to do a word study, and you can go to a Strongest Concordance if you want to, if you've got the book, and I still have an old one, or you go online now and look it up and search it, you would find the word faith used all through the Old and the New Testament. And we see all sorts of examples of faith. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Many of you know this verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, this is interesting, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, sons are your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine your faith leading someone else to be healed and their sins to be forgiven. That's what Mark 2 says. Mark chapter 5, 34, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
Mark 11, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? The word faith is found all through Scripture. It's foundational to who we are. But there's something interesting in Hebrews 11 I want you to see. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith. It's talking about faith. It's mentioned 24 times in the chapter. But faith for these people, for Moses and Noah and Abraham, as we'll see in just a few minutes, faith for them was just the beginning. Now, here's what a lot of people do. Here's what a lot of believers do. And this is one of my fears. And this is what leads me to preach this sermon. And it's what leads me to kind of think through the next several months. And by the way, I'm going to start a series in the book of Mark next Sunday morning. I've been praying about what to do and and where to go, and God's given me a couple different thoughts and ideas, but the more I pray about it and the more I kind of seek him and search him out and study his word, I just feel led to preach through the book of Mark. So really starting now until Easter, we're going to go through the book of Mark. And one of the reasons I love Mark, one of the reasons I settled on Mark is it's filled with action. In fact, some commentators call it the action gospel. Jesus is doing a lot of things. He's not just sitting around talking. He's not just sitting around praying. There's there's action. In fact, I'm reading through Mark now, and if you read through it, you'll see the word immediately is used so many times, dozens and dozens. Immediately, Jesus did this, or he got up and he went and did that. And I'm I'm just fearful that that far too many Christians see this idea of faith as uh, kind of the end of their journey, right? They accept Christ. They believe in Jesus. They prayed the prayer. They made that decision however many years ago, and for them, it's the end of the journey, Like, I've done that. Thank goodness I made that decision. I've got the fire insurance, whatever you want to call it. I've figured everything out. Everything's going to be good. I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. Now I don't have to worry about it anything else in my life. I don't have to worry anymore about the things of the Lord. I've made that decision. I've settled that. And yes, you have settled it. I would agree that's important. But I would say to you, that's really the beginning of your journey, not the end of it. Because your faith is the process by which you accept Christ. And we see Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace and faith through Christ, and we understand that. But for these people, for the people in Hebrews chapter 11, all of these heroes of the faith, we remember them and know them and read about them because of the things they did. You understand that? Like, it's just a fascinating idea to consider that Noah was a nobody until God called him to do something incredible. There were other people on the earth during that time that were sinful and not righteous. And we don't know any of their names because God didn't call them to do something amazing. We know all about Abraham only because God came to him and called him to do something amazing. We know about Moses because God came to him in the burning bush. We know these people because their faith led them to action. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. Let's kind of continue this thought process. We understand that faith is foundational, but it's the beginning, right? It's the start of the story. Faith must do something else. Now, I want you to notice as I read through these next several verses here, faith leads these people to action. So verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God, right? There's some action. He offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him By accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God's concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. And Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven, and as many of the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let's stop there for a second. We've got Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and and Sarah, and on and on the list goes throughout chapter 11 of Hebrews. All of these people had faith. That's what Scripture says. By faith. That's how every one of these people starts. If you're going to kind of do a study of Hebrews chapter 11, one of the things you notice right off the bat is by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. But by faith led to other things. So here's the second truth we see in this text. Number two, faith must lead to action. If you just have faith and nothing else, it's not enough. In fact, I would really want to have a conversation with you. If you say I've got great amounts of faith, but I've never done anything to the Lord, I would really want to talk with you and think with you about your salvation. Because the Bible's real clear, right? Faith brings actions. In fact, James chapter 2 is one of the clearest verses, one of the clearest passages we can read this. James 2.17 says this. It says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a powerful word. Not as backslidden or is not quite good enough or needs to do better. James says, listen, if you're talking about faith, then he elaborates in James 2. If you're saying you've got faith, but there's no works to back it up, James would say it's dead. Now, I've said this over the last several weeks, and I'm going to continue to say it through the book of Mark and probably beyond, but I'm just becoming more and more convinced that Christianity is becoming more and more passive. Christianity has become more and more inactive. And here's kind of where it started for me months and months ago. The Lord just kind of hit me. When church is over, we have, a, we have an 8.30, a 9.45, and an 11 o'clock service, three services. A lot of people come through here on a Sunday morning. A lot of people come through here, and a lot of people leave here every Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And one day, I was standing here, and I always try to stand here, and I talk to people, and I'm, I make myself available at the end of the service. But I watch people walk out that door. And it's like the Lord just hit me, like, what are those people going to do when they get outside the walls of this building? It's a good question. And it's not for me to decide or judge. It's really none of my business, frankly, what you do between you and the Lord. But I just started wondering, are we, be, are we being challenged enough to take what we're learning in here and what we're seeing in God's Word? Are we being challenged enough in here and in our Sunday school classes and in other parts of our ministry? Are we being challenged enough to do something when we get outside the walls of this church? Because if all you ever do is come in here and, and sit and soak and take a lot of notes and have great discussion in your Sunday school classes, and you get outside the walls of the church and you never do anything else with it, you've kind of lost the battle. <laughs> 
I just wonder how many people, and, and if this is you, then this is maybe the Lord just, just reminding you or maybe the Holy Spirit just prompting you, how many people, when they leave church, don't really think about the things of the Lord at all until the next Sunday morning? I just wonder how many people are really living their lives for Christ. You know, if you multiply and do the math, there are, I think, 168 hours in the week. 168 hours. That's a lot of time. You spend two to three to four hours in church a week. Let's just use the number two, Sunday morning. If you spend two hours of your life every week in the church, that leaves 166 more hours in the week. Not too many people try to figure out how they can serve the Lord in their off time. Like I'm busy, right? I've got, I've got the big, you talk about the schedule, I've got the big blocks or the big rocks in my schedule. I've got all these things, I've got to do these, these. And then when all this stuff is done and there's a little more time left, then I'm going to try to serve the Lord and think about the things of the Lord. I would challenge you, what are we doing with all of our time? Like how are we living for Christ at work? You, you shouldn't go to work thinking, man, when work's over, I can finally do something to serve the Lord. No, no, you're serving the Lord when you walk into work at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You have opportunities. Right? It's not as if work is some sidebar for you and, and something God would have you to do uh, so you can just make the ends meet and then you serve the Lord when you got free time. No, God has given you your job as a means to reach the world for Christ. Have you ever thought about that? That's your opportunity. I mean, I'm not going to go around the room, but I can guarantee you every person in here works with or knows an unbeliever. Everybody. I bet everybody here works with an unbeliever at work. You start thinking about the opportunities Christ has given you, and you begin to shift your focus a little bit from just thinking about these people and wishing I could do something to being active in our faith while we're with them. Like, what can I do? How can I be active in my faith to make a difference in the lives of these people? You know, you think about the Christian walk, and you think about how the Scripture describes the Christian walk, and the Christian walk is anything but passive, now, you don't have to write these down or, or, or look them up, but I just want you to listen to some ways that the Scripture defines and describes the Christian walk. Hebrews chapter 4, a little bit earlier in this book, don't go back and look, basically says we strive, in our, it uses the word strive in our Christianity. Philippians 3, Paul says we, we strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, We fight the good fight. We take hold of the eternal life. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Words and phrases like strive, straining, pressing towards the goal, fighting the good fight, taking hold of eternal life, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Those are not words of passiveness. They're words of action. I mean, Christ has called us into a battle. You know, I go to this passion conference and I see these kids, man, and I, I see what they're going through and the, the struggles that they face. And the, the, the first night was just incredible because he, he just talked about brokenness within the home. And Christ is our eternal father. And, and you know, if, if you've never had a father that really cared about you or loved you, it's just an incredibly powerful thing about how Jesus is that person and stands in the gap. And then he just asked, Hey, if anybody in this, and this is 12,000 students and, and, and adults, mostly students, 99% students, college kids. He said, if anybody in here has is, is ever struggled with the idea of, of not having a dad at home that cares or didn't love them or didn't, just stand up. If you just find the courage to stand all over the arena, kids all in our group, 
And I thought, man, we're, we're in a war. We're in a fight. We're in the fight of our lives. This is eternity at stake here, man. And we're just passive. It's like bullets are just whizzing by our head and picking people off left and right, and we're just sitting around thinking, well, I guess I can't do anything about it. That's not who we're called to be. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not what it says. Straining is not easy. Fighting the good fight is not easy. Pressing on is not easy. These are not easy things, but that's our calling in Scripture. And Hebrews 11 is is filled with this. Filled with the idea that our faith, as we grow in our walk with Christ, must lead us to more. It must do more. It has to take us to a place of doing something. One writer explains it like this. Whereas many seem to entertain the notion that faith is merely a mental conviction, this chapter reveals that faith, in order to be valid, must act. And so, for example, back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God. He did something. You see that? Verse 4. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so he didn't see death. Verse 7, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear. What did he do? He sat around and wished he could do more. Or he convened a group of people to study and talk about what they should be doing. What did he actually do? He built an ark. Pull that verse up. Pull verse 7 up. Pull 11.7 up. Is that it right there? There. In reverent fear, what did he do? He constructed an ark for the saving of his family. We see all these examples. By faith, Sarah received power. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. On and on. Now, here's what we do. We say, you know what? I get it. There has to be action, and my faith has to do something, and I can't just be passive. I can't just be sitting around. But I just don't really know what I need to be doing. Or I'm a little fearful because the world is a scary place. I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. It's kind of unknown for me. Some of you would say, well, if you really study this scripture, everything about what these people did was unknown. (laughs) That's the world they lived in. Like, Like Noah, you imagine the story of Noah. Noah is building an ark, a massive boat, nowhere near a body of water. It had never rained. I mean, by our standards, he would have looked like an absolute fool. I mean, in today's world, he would be tweeted about and his picture would be on Instagram and all the local news stations and people would be mocking mocking him with memes on Facebook. He would be a fool. We would think he was ridiculous and crazy. Why would he ever do anything like this? Because God called him to. And I have this fear of getting to heaven one day, and maybe you share this same fear. I'm going to get to heaven one day, and God's going to give me the list of the things he called me to do. And then he's going to show me how many I'm I failed to do because either I didn't have the faith or I was afraid. Like all the people I should have shared with but was afraid to do it. Or all the places I should have gone to share my testimony but didn't because I was fearful. Or all the great things he had in store for me, but because of my failures and my sinfulness, I wasn't able to accomplish them. God called Abraham. He said, listen, I want you to get up, leave your home, go to a land I'm going to show you later. Like, I'm not even going to give you the specifics of where you're going. I just want you to pack all your stuff up, gather your close family, leave the rest of your family, leave a safe home Leave a nice homestead. Leave all the extended family and the friends and all the things that you know. Get up and just start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. I think I don't don't know that I have the faith to do that. 
Like if the Lord said to me, listen, sell everything you own, quit your job, get a U-Haul, start driving, I'll tell you when to stop. I think, I heard this wrong. And I'm sure if I told any of y'all, y'all be like, you heard that wrong. God says, listen, I'm going to give you this faith and I'm going to call you to action. I'm going to call you to action. Pull up verse 7. I want you to notice verse 7 here because I want you to know this is important. This kind of clues us in a little bit on how this happens like this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in what? What's the two little words there? Reverent fear. Reverent, right? Understanding the holiness of God. Seeing the power of the Lord, fear, understanding who God is and that he needs to obey. In reverent fear, he did these things. He understood that God is God. His faith got, to, got him to a point of believing that God is God and God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And his faith led him in reverent fear, trusting the Lord, believing the Lord to do great things. One writer said it like this. I love the way he phrased this. He said, saving faith changes the way you live. Your life takes on a dimension that can only be explained by the assurance of things hoped for. Only God makes sense out of an ark in the desert, an immigration to who knows where, and living in tents rather than building a city, preparing for a child you are too old to bear. That's the way the life of faith is. It doesn't make sense without God, but with God, it is utterly reasonable. And then I started thinking a little bit and, and just dreaming and playing the little game. You know, what if, what if they were going to write Hebrews chapter 11 based on your life or my life? What if we're going to write Hebrews chapter 11 based on Rosemont? What are the things we would say, right? And that's kind of between you and the Lord. But what if you started dreaming? And I just thought, wouldn't it be neat to kind of dream about if they rewrote this based on our church, based on our people? Like his, his faith... We would say in Hebrews chapter 11, if we're writing about, maybe we could say about us, his faith led him to share Christ with a co-worker. Wouldn't that be neat? Or her faith led her to lead her entire team to Christ. Or, or his faith led him to take his family on mission. Or his faith led him to pray regularly for revival in our community. Or her faith led her to start a Bible study in her neighborhood. On and on the list could go like, what is our faith actually leading us to do? Because in, in the end, if we can't really point to what we're accomplishing for Christ, we need to go back and take a look at our faith. Like, I just don't know if we can make the argument, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I've never really done anything for the kingdom, there's no fruit in my life. I'm not actively seeking out the Lord, but I know I'm a believer. <sighs> I'm not going to question your salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's between you and the Lord. Again, that's between you and the Lord. I would never, never do that. But you need to do it. <laughs> I need to do it. The Bible's clear, man. A tree is known by the fruit it bears. I mean, if I told you I've got a garden in my house and I wanted you to come see it, and you come see it, and I walk out back and there's just a bunch of grass. There's nothing growing, no fruit, no vegetables, no lines, nothing's been tilled up, no, no fertilizer, no fence. I don't have a garden, do I? I can call it a garden all day long. I can sit in church and talk about my garden. I can convene a garden group and we can talk about the importance of gardening and how much we love it. And we can talk about techniques and all the food we're going to grow. But if I'm not actually growing anything, I don't have a garden. James says, listen, if you're claiming faith, you're not actually doing anything. Your faith is dead. His words, not mine. 
We ought to challenge ourselves. We ought to be reminded of this. Let's finish this up. We've got to wind this down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. By the way, there's so much more we could say in this chapter. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, right? All these people are dead. <laughs> Not having received the things promised. And that's a little concerning. Wait a minute. They all died. They had faith that led them to action, but they didn't quite receive the things that they thought they were going to receive. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, this is key right here, here's the heartbeat right here, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's key to understanding their, their, their motivation there. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland, verse 15. But if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, their desire, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Truth number three, faith reminds us that this is not our home. Like you want to fast forward your faith and your belief and your action a thousand miles, if you want to fast forward it a thousand miles, then you begin to understand and realize this is not your home. What happens here is temporal, it's not eternal. The things you do for the kingdom, those are eternal. That is your home. These people understand, they acknowledge. Pull up verse, let's just look at it together. Pull up verse, what is it, 13? Pull up verse 13. Let's just see it together. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You know, I can't help but think Abraham must have thought, you know, this isn't my home anyway. If God's called me to leave, then I'll just go. Noah had to think, you know, this isn't my home anyway. If God's called me to build this big ark, I'll just build it. Moses had to think, this isn't my home. If God's called me to go in and speak to Pharaoh and, and leave the, the people, bring these people out of captivity, I'll just do it because this isn't my home anyway. I'm just willing to say I'll sacrifice, I'll give up, I'll set aside all of these things. Why? Because this isn't my home. There's something better. These people died understanding that there's something better. That God had prepared for them an eternal city. You know, it's not easy to live like this. It's not sometimes fun to live like this. It's not first on our list oftentimes in our flesh to live like this. But it is who God calls us to be. And so we have to come to this place in our faith where we ask the question, listen, what is the faith that Christ has given me causing me to do? That's between you and the Lord. That's the question you're going to have to answer. But here's what I want to do this morning. This is the first Sunday of the new year. And I think our, our team, guys, if y'all can hear me in the back there, if y'all have been back there, if y'all can kind of come on forward, I want to do something a little bit different. There's another passage I want to read, but I don't want you to look at it because I, I want you to hear me read it here in just a few minutes. I'm going to have them come on out and start playing in just a minute. But I want to do something a little bit different during our time of invitation. I want to ask you to do something. And you guys that have been around for a while know this about me. This is not something I normally do. I usually just give the invitation, give the opportunity. But I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different during our time of invitation this morning. So I want you to go ahead and stand up. And Stacy's just going to start kind of slowly playing. I want to read for you the end of Hebrews chapter 11 because I want you to listen to what it says. It's, it's fascinating to me. And I, and I want to, again, 
I'm not trying to be silly or quirky, but I want you to close your eyes. It's, it's good for me sometimes when I hear Scripture to close my eyes and kind of envision. I just want you to kind of listen to this scripture. And as you do it, I'm going to ask you to do something. Your, your eyes are closed. Your heads are bowed. You don't have to do this. If it feels weird, you don't do it. Okay? It's just symbolic. But I think so many times we live with our, our fists and our, our lives kind of closed in and just tight. And we hold on so tightly to what we have. We were challenged with this this last week in Passion. We, were, we, we hold on so tightly to the things we have. We're just not really willing to give them to God. And so if you feel like it, if you feel led to do it, I'm going to ask you just to open your hands. You can hold them out in front of you. If you want to raise them, you can. If you want to keep them in your pockets, you can. I'm not going to make you do anything. But I just symbolically just giving the Lord all we have. Because here's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 says and following. He says, and what more shall I say? <laughs> For time would fail me to tell. In other words, I don't have enough time to talk about the faith of these people. Of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel the prophets. Who? Listen to what they did. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies in flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocked, and flogged, even chained and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Man, I just think if, if one day the, the Lord could say that about me, I would be blessed. What are we going to do with our faith? Father, we thank you for what you've shown us. We thank you for this scripture. It's powerful, Father. It ought to change our hearts. It ought to shake us and wake us up a little bit, Lord. What action are we going to take for the sake of the kingdom? Others have come before us, Father. They've been faithful. They've trusted you. They've heard from you. They've acted upon their faith, and you've done great things through them, Father. Let that be said of this generation. Let that be said of this church. Let that be said of me. Father, use us for the sake of your kingdom. Take our faith, Father, as weak as it may be. Increase it. Strengthen it, Father. Allow it to do great things. Let it lead us to great action. And we'll praise your name for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Altar is open. It's an opportunity for you to come. You can pray where you are. You can speak to me. This is your chance to respond as we sing together. And waiting
who's deployed now in Afghanistan, right? Will be for about six months. He'll be for nine months, okay? So she, when he found out about what he was going to be doing, started praying about what she wanted to do with the kids and where she wanted to go and talk about taking faith and putting it into action. Lindsay is leaving Wednesday. Going to get on an airplane, fly to Zambia, Africa, to New Day Orphanage. Many of you have been there. It's going to spend six months, not six days, Six months at New Day Orphanage. Kids are going to be in school right at the orphanage. Mom's going to homeschool, so we're going to pray for that too, right? <laughs> we understand how that works. They're going to live there. They're going to work there. They're going to serve there. And so we're, first of all, very excited for y'all. I've been praying for y'all, praying everything goes smoothly. Transportation and plane, that's a long way over there, a long bus ride. There's a lot that has to happen between now and then. But we thought, wouldn't it be neat for us to commission her and to pray for these kids and to pray for Foster as well as he's in Afghanistan as they take faith and put it into action and just challenge us in our thoughts, right? Like, man, if she can go to Africa for six months with her kids, maybe I can share the gospel with the guy in the cubicle next to me tomorrow. And so I want you to kind of step out from where y'all, y'all come on to the middle, if you would, kind of towards the middle of the row there. Y'all step out. We're going to place just our hands on them and we're just going to, spend a couple minutes praying for them and and really commissioning them. And I'm going to ask you not only to pray for them now, but to remember them over the next several months that God would do great things through them and use them for the sake of his kingdom. If, If you can't get all the way down here, just reach out and touch the person in front of you. And Father, we just thank you for the opportunity of hearing from you this morning in your word, the challenge, Father, doing more of our faith not being passive but being active, Lord. Of stepping out and doing things that are, that are outside of our comfort zone, maybe that are, are bolder, things that we probably wouldn't do without your calling. So I thank you for Lindsay, Father, and for Foster. I thank you for her desire to lead her family and the desire to go to Africa. I pray for them, Lord. Six months is a long time. And I pray, Father, we would not only pray for them now but remember them on a regular basis in our prayer over the next six months. Father, I pray she would do great work there. I pray they get settled in quickly, Father, and, and, and begin to understand and see the areas of ministry they can be involved in, Father. I pray that she would get to know those local people and, and love them and serve with them and do great things, Father, in that little community. Lord, just use her for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we commission this family in the name of Jesus Christ as ambassadors from Rosemont.
take the gospel into the darkness of the world. Use them for the sake of your kingdom. Father, may, may they be, uh, uh, Lord, may you see them in their faithfulness and may you do get great things through them. But may we be challenged because of their faith, Father. May you do something in our hearts as well, Father. Lead them to do great things. We'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you back next week.